great. Thank you, everybody. It's good to be with you this morning. I'm still sick. Yeah, it's sad. You know, I dug deep last week, and uh, it was so great to have all the affirmations, so many people saying, oh, I didn't even notice you were sick. And I guess I dug so deep, it was so effective that I got myself sick for another whole week, because I'm still sick at this point. But you know what? I'm feeling good anyway. You know, I'm, nothing's going to get in the way of my holiday spirit. Can I get an amen? I mean, tomorrow morning, you know what I'm going to do, rain or shine, no matter how I feel, I'm going to start building my custom Christmas lights. That's right, custom. All right, I have ordered the blank wire, and I'm going to be hand-placing each light in exactly where it should be. Yeah, that's commitment, okay? Yeah, get on my level, all right? And I'm sick, and I'm going to be doing this tomorrow. I'm the guy that wants the house that's coordinated with the song. So it has to be perfect, each section. I had a plan that I was going to coordinate it with uh, Kanye West's uh, Jesus is King. <laughs> Can no longer do that, likely. Um, it'll have to be Michael Buble or something like that, but I'll have to settle. But, uh, but yeah, nothing's going to get in the way of my, my, my Christmas spirit here. And, and also, just my enthusiasm for this scripture, this teaching, just like last week. I'm coming with enthusiasm for what we see here in 2 Thessalonians. Would you open there with me this morning to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. If you need a Bible, you can raise your hand. One of the ushers will pass one to you. We're just finishing up the final few verses in this series, Eternal Encouragement. Now, last week, we looked at Paul's command of the Thessalonians to disassociate, to break off relationship with some of those in the community who were idle and disruptive, who were freeloaders, we were basically taking advantage of the generosity of others in the community. And that was to preserve the church community as a place of contributions and to preserve its pure witness in the world. And it was a mess of a situation that Thessalonians were in. They were facing pressures from the culture outside, false teaching on the inside, and again, those people who were exploiting the goodness of those who were giving. So Paul concluded with one of these final encouragements to the faithful among them. He said, guys, Never tire of doing what is good. Don't get sick of doing what is constructive and what is beneficial for God and for His people. And that is what they were liable to feel, right, with all the pressures around them. And so he finishes these last three verses in a, in a similar tone with a blessing for the community, a blessing of peace, one that we all likely need as well. Let's read it together. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 16. The verses, these three short verses will be on the screen. Paul writes, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand which is the distinguishing mark in all my letters. This is how I write. And of course, he would do this because there were false teachings. There were people claiming to represent him that he was correcting. So he goes, this is me. Like this blessing, all these teachings are for me. Verse 18, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And that concludes 2 Thessalonians. Now, it was a short reading, like I said. But these verses aren't without weight or significance, because here is more of the eternal encouragement that the Thessalonian church would need, straight from God to they themselves as individuals. 
Again, this is the wonder of our faith, that God can move in us and speak to us as individuals. You know, it's like the difference between, like, if the president gives uh, uh, an address to the entire nation. I think a lot of people envision, like, their relationship with God in the same mode. Like, here's all the truths that God has spoken. It's this corporate address to all of us, and we all sort of receive it in the same way. But it's the difference between that and, like, the president picking up the phone and calling you and addressing you personally. And that's what, that's what Paul is praying for the church to experience. He's saying, look, this isn't a general blessing or address. I'm asking that the Lord of peace himself would give you peace at all times and in all things. It's a blessing of peace for them on a personal level between them and God. But what is the nature of this peace that we are to experience, this blessing that God is going to grant each of us on a personal level that Paul was praying for the Thessalonian church to experience on a personal level? Because I don't think we think of peace in the same terms that he was thinking of peace. In our traditional and like cultural imagination today, peace is often associated with like the ceasing of hostilities or the ceasing of activity. But in the Jewish mindset, in Paul's mindset, his prayer was a lot more robust. There was a lot more to the peace that he was asking God to give the people. You know, according to our traditional understanding, you could say right now, the U.S. and Russia are in a state of peace. I mean, we're not in active outright war. There's not active hostilities, but would you say like, oh man, we kind of are, like there's some hostility underneath the surface that isn't being practiced, so this is really peace? And in the Jewish mindset, in the biblical imagination, peace would be more like the U.S. and Russia having a positive, solid relationship with each other of mutual beneficial actions and mutual trust, and, and out of the substance of that relationship is peace. And so, of course... They're not actually fighting with each other because there's something of substance there. It's not about lacking in outright hostility. It's about what exists between those two parties. And on a personal level, you know, I think we often think of peace in our traditional sense as like, oh man, I'm really looking for that quiet moment. I'm really looking for that time when I can have, you know, everything still around me and I can experience some peace. But in the biblical imagination, Peace is something that happens inside of us. It's this ultimate state of fulfillment and satisfaction of what we can acquire in God, in ourselves, to the extent that we are the quiet moment. We bring the quiet with us, no matter what's going on in the activity around us. But I don't know that we pursue the substance of peace as God intended. For example, some people pursue peace by living in this thin place of denial, Right? That's how they think that they're going to get this inner sense of peace, right? They, they have to live in this posture of denial. They have this, like, protective bubble around them. They create this, you know, padded room in their mind where they have to tell themselves that, like, everything is good. Everything has always been good. Anything that's going to happen to me in the future is good, right? And, and I'm sure you've encountered people like this. Maybe you struggle with this yourself. Like, you're always in this state of denial about what's actually happening around you, and and folks that are in this mode, they're trying desperately to deny reality because reality is not always good. There's a lot of bad things that happen to us and around us. But it's fine if people want to live in their own fantasy land and craft that narrative of peace for themselves, except that it's so hard to relate to. I know people that are married to individuals like this, people who are children of people like this, 
It's like, come on, we can't acknowledge what's actually happening in the world. I mean, maybe you've had some coworkers like this. The Bible doesn't set that standard for us. It doesn't tell us that the only way that we can acquire peace is by denying the reality of the troubles around us. Moses, you know, the leader of God's people, selected by God who established that, you know, covenant and, and, the, and the commandments, and he's leading them out of slavery and into the promised land, what does he say to God? He says, God, this is horrible what you put me through. How did I get here? Why am I the guy to lead these people? These people are nothing but trouble. You haven't set me up to win. You've set me up to fail. That's what Moses said, this great prophet and leader of the Old Testament. King David wrote, I mean, the man after God's own heart, like the prototype of what a great king should be in leading God's people. He wrote in the Psalms, my soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long am I going to have to go through these feelings? The great prophet Elijah, probably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament, in the midst of his ministry, he said, I've had enough, Lord. Let me die. I mean, that's a low moment for the prophet Elijah to say, I don't want to do this thing you've called me to anymore. Just take me. And then he rolled over and went to sleep. How sad is that? <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a state of, of, of feeling depressed right there. Oh, take me. And then he goes to bed. Paul said, who is weak? And I do not feel weak too. And even the Son of God, Jesus himself said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. The Thessalonians, for their part, who were receiving this blessing of peace from God to them through Paul, they were going through a mess of a situation when that blessing was being given to them. So Jesus was real with us when he said in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world you will have trouble. He was real about it. All the greatest leaders of the Scriptures were real about the things that were going on. They didn't deny it. And Jesus was real about it. Sure, in the next statement, he says, well, take heart, I've overcome the world. But he didn't have to deny reality. He acknowledged it and then promised us the power to overcome what we would face. Admittedly, on a personal level, no denial here. When I first stepped into my role, I had trouble. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. I had a lot of trouble. I had little to no peace. I did not have the emotional resources or the wherewithal to be a lead pastor at age 23. Big shocker, right? Everyone's like, yeah, why did that happen? I mean, that's everyone's reaction. I, I don't know, all right? I did not have the emotional resources. And I was two months married, and I really didn't have the emotional resources and the wherewithal to be a husband either. And here was the reality. I mean, no denial in this. Let's just, let's just face reality. They face reality in the Scriptures, Right? I felt enormous pressure, and I was hard on myself, and I felt like I was alone and overlooked. I was dealing with a lot of insecurities and having to prove myself, and I was tired, and I, and I didn't think I was going to have the support system I needed around me. But if you ask me how I was doing, I'm fine. Don't you love that human response? I'm literally coming apart at the seams inside, and you ask me, how are you doing? Oh, I'm great. I'm fine. Isn't that amazing? No matter how much I denied what was actually going on in me, it didn't make those legitimate feelings go away. Now, here was my creative and ingenious way of dealing with those feelings. I went away and prayed deeply and 
Then I sat down with my wife and explained everything that was going on very clearly. And then I went to therapy. That's 100% not what I did. I didn't do any of that stuff. Are you kidding me? I didn't do any of that stuff. I didn't pray deeply or sit down with my wife and explain what was really going on in me really clearly and then go to therapy. I ditched all that stuff. You know what I did? This was my ingenious way of dealing with my lack of peace, the lack of fulfillment and satisfaction that those frayed edges of my life, I avoided it. I avoided it. You know what I did? When I was working hard, that was great. Well, when I had free time, I know what I'll do. I'll work more. It's a genius, right? Then I don't have to think about all the problems that are going on in me. And I was very productive. It's incredible what anxious people can do in the world. I think the world is really fueled by anxious people. In that time, I remodeled, you know, three homes and two vintage RVs and two boats and a couple of old cars, but none of it brought me peace. None of it brought me satisfaction or wholeness. It was like drinking salt water when you're thirsty. You see, we all need wholeness. I couldn't even tell you all this was going on in me, but I was instinctively being driven to pursue fulfillment and satisfaction on the terms that I thought would bring it to me. And we're all looking for that peace for all those frayed edges of our life, you know, those unaddressed relationship issues we have and those personal hang-ups that we have. I'm looking for an answer for that. I'm looking for the stress, you know, an answer for all that stress, for how unknown and unclear the uncertainty is about my future. But like me, we often look for fulfillment and answers in all the wrong places, in places that won't satisfy. It reminds me of the story of the Samaritan woman at the well and her encounter with Jesus in John chapter 4. Verse 13, Jesus approaches this woman at a well and engages in a spiritual dialogue with her about fulfillment and wholeness and true peace. He says, while sitting next to her at the well, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them, Jesus says, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, the woman said to him, she's operating on the superficial level. She's saying, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to this well to draw water. And he told her, and he's going to the deeper level here, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the guy you're shacking up with right now is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So he's talking to her about this fulfillment and satisfaction and wholeness that he can provide for her. And she's thinking superficial, all right, cool, I don't have to make these trips to the well any longer. And he goes, no, I'm going to take you to where you're really dealing with a lack of fulfillment and satisfaction, where you're really covering for your pains and your issues. And it's in all these illicit relationships and I'm revealing that to you so now I can fulfill that part of your life. You know, some people have said, you know, religion, it's like a drug. It helps you escape your reality. Oh, it's fun that you enjoy that, your drug, so you can go live in this imaginary land. And, and I've always told, maybe religion is like a drug, but Jesus is like the most sobering person and reality you could possibly experience he didn't give her a drug. When you encounter Jesus, He sobers you up. Like, 
oh, cool, I, I don't have to drink, you know, from the well anymore. And he's like, who are you living with? What's going on at home? That's sobering. Jesus is like spiritual Narcan. You know what Narcan is? It helps people who are having an opioid overdose. Someone's having an opioid overdose. You give them Narcan. Narcan binds to the receptors that opioids try to connect with. They give the person the high. So you, you cut off that supply so they don't get the high anymore. And when we encounter Jesus in a real way, He like blocks those receptors for all those false sources of peace that we've been reaching for. And we see how false they are. And then they don't give us the high anymore. And He unveils to us those frayed edges ultimately so that He can bring fulfillment to those places. But the truth is, working harder isn't going to bring you peace. Being busier is not going to bring you wholeness. Your next big idea to fix everything in your life is not going to be the answer. Numbing out through any means you'd like in this society, and we have many, is not going to fill those gaps in your soul. Divorce is not going to be a source of fulfillment for you. A new relationship, more money, and spending more money is not going to give you what you lack. True peace is a gift we derive from God when we come ever more into alignment with His presence and His promises to us. Paul understood this. So he's praying for this blessing for the Thessalonian church, but he understood this on a personal level. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And it wasn't like this motivational phrase that we need to put up in our office so we can close the next sales deal. You know, like, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I'm going to bag this next client. No, that's not the mode. It wasn't like on the wall of the gym, so you set your new, like, max bench press. I can do all things. That wasn't it. It's literally on so many gym walls, all right? So I'm just correcting that, like, legitimately. Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, what does Paul say? I have learned to be content, satisfied, fulfilled, at peace, Whatever the circumstances, I know, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret. People don't get this, he's saying. People don't know this. The secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. It's from the presence and the promises of God. You know, false teachers will tell you, Oh, yeah, this is it. The peace of God is coming for you in the way that Paul means it when he heals your every illness and he makes you super wealthy and influential and blah, blah, blah. Basically, what they say is God is going to come into your life, make everything perfect, and then when everything is in its right place and perfect, now you can feel good and you can feel whole. Do you know who needs everything in its right place and perfect to feel good and whole? In my family, it's my children. They need everything to go exactly right or they don't feel great about it. Case in point, this last Thursday, we surprised our kids with a trip to Legoland. And I'm telling you, we surprised them good. We made them get ready for school. We made them pack their backpacks. We packed them lunches. We left at 8 in the morning and then just, whoops, I took a wrong turn. And they're going, Dad, where are you going? And I'm going, whoa, I took a wrong turn. Better take a U-turn up here. And then, ooh, 
missed the turn. I did this, all this act all the way to the freeway. You know, I was really hamming it up until it's like, surprise! You're not going to school, you're going to Legoland! Yay! Then we get to Legoland, the surprises weren't over. Surprise! Your cousins are here with you. Yes! And your grandma's here. Yes! She's really cool. So they're all pumped. But all it takes is not tall enough for that one ride. Yeah. Not getting ice cream on the way out at the exit. They put it right at the exit. Didn't get ice cream. And they lose it. That's an emaciated vision of peace. That's what we can reflect in our own lack of spiritual maturity. You know the power of God's peace, His wholeness, is that you don't need to deny what's going on. You don't need to avoid what's going on. You can take your plenty or your lack. You can take your hunger or your abundance. You can bring your needs and your wants, your pains and your wounds, and He can satisfy all of it in the present with His presence and with His promises. As Paul prayed, the Lord of peace Himself will give you peace at all times in all things. That wasn't a prayer that was like of sentimentality, like, let me sign off with something sweet in a greeting card. Paul goes, I have been there. I've been in places of need. I've been rejected. I've been isolated. And I had to seek God, and I had to have Him fill in me what I lacked. So I've been there, and the Thessalonian church is right in the middle of it. They're not having a good time. It's a real mess in the church. And he's going, so you know what you guys need? You need what I've experienced. You need God Himself, the Lord of peace, to grant you peace at all times and in all circumstances. Now, that's a nice idea, but how does it work in practice, this unconditional peace that's granted to us in God? Well, consider what Jesus said. He he differentiated His unconditional peace from the conditional peace of the world when He said in John chapter 14, verse 27, My peace I give you. My peace I give you. My peace I leave with you. I give not as the world gives. The world gives a conditional peace. Everything has to be right for it to be Right, but our peace is built on the unconditional love of God. Everything can be going wrong, and yet we still have God. I mean, consider the gospel. If you're in Christ, we have access to God, and by extension, we have access to heaven, a a place of no poverty, illness, or pain. So as I'm going through hurts and pains today, I may not be healed tomorrow, but I know one day I will be healed. You know, as I go through depression and anxiety and fears concerning the future here, maybe because, oh, the government is all over the place in our society. I don't know. Maybe you guys agree with me. I can know that there's a day when the kingship of Jesus is going to rule everything. Or our ill and failing bodies, they're going to be replaced with glory. My exhaustion in toiling and laboring is going to turn into eternal rest. Is that divine denial or avoidance? No, let me tell you what happens. I go through difficult things, and I don't need to lie about it. I can take it before God, but I can pull my emotions and my feelings from a higher reality than the reality that I'm entering into. Let's say I'm jobless. I still got to look for a job. 
but I can trust in the higher reality of God's provision for me. Let's say I get sick. I still got to go through treatments, but I have in view the resurrection that is before me. Things are going on in society. Our government looks a mess. I engage. I don't kick my feet up and say, okay, well, they'll work that out. I engage with the cultural moment, but always with the kingdom of God in view. When I encounter evil in this world, I endure it. And we have to endure a lot of it in this world. But we always have in mind what Paul even tells us here in 2 Thessalonians, that Jesus will return and defeat the enemy with the breath of His mouth. The breath of His mouth, everybody. Jesus is going to go, and evil is going to be destroyed. That's the promise in 2 Thessalonians. So it works like this in our life. Like, I could have a bad day, start with a fender bender, get a call from my wife, oh, the toilet is backed up into the whole house. And then I step off the curb and I break my arm. Bad day, right? But if I win the lottery on the same day, that's just become the greatest day of my life. You with me? I mean, all that other stuff, I got that taken care of. No worries. This is the greatest day of my life. I have this overriding higher reality that shapes my experience. And we're living in that reality. We have that lottery ticket. It it shapes everything about us. The, The peace of hope that we have is larger than the pieces that we lack if we recognize it and have access to it. And I can tell you guys, As I've walked with Jesus more through my life, I've found this to be true. I'm less thirsty. As I draw from that larger piece of hope to fill up what I lack, I'm less thirsty. I'm not less thirsty because I taught myself how to deny my thirst or to avoid my thirst. I become less thirsty because I'm drinking more deeply of the presence and promises of God So I'm telling all of us as branches, let's drink more deeply of God's presence and promises so that we too can be fulfilled at all times. Now the same way God doesn't give us this thin, avoidant peace in our personal life, so He doesn't want anything less than a real gritty and raw peace for our community, our relationships with each other. Remember, this blessing of peace is for the Thessalonians on an individual level, but it's also for the communities praying for the Lord of peace to bring peace into the community, into the relationships, and they would need it. They required it because what was going on? We know that they were dividing over false teaching. We know that they were, you know, absorbing the generosity of other people and freeloading. So he's just told them in the earlier part of chapter 3, oh, guys, I need you to go not just like ignore what's happening here, not deny or not not avoid. I need you guys to go confront the people who are causing trouble in the community because you've got to restore real peace and real substance and real wholeness in this community. So that's why he's praying the Lord of peace give you peace because they're going to go and do some hard work with the division that's going on among them. And that's how God works. God doesn't say, oh, guys, here's how you're going to maintain your unity as the church. You know what? No matter what goes on, just, you know, put a happy face on and, you know, just put up with each other and just make sure everybody's always included. He's like, 
no, there's, there's a mess going on here, and you're going to have to go confront it, and you're going to build something of substance in those relationships. It's the same thing with God. God didn't look at humanity and say, you know, here's the answer for you guys to experience fulfillment and peace in relationship with me. You know, uh, just forget sin. You know, all, all the wrongdoing. You know, you guys are just great as is. You know, I, don't change a thing. Never change, guys. And uh, you know what? Uh, no discipline necessary. I just love you. We're all going to heaven. He didn't say that. Like I revealed in this interaction with the Samaritan woman, it was the opposite. Jesus made sin all the more clear. He made those weaknesses and deficiencies and frayed ends all the more clear so that He could actually satisfy us in the deepest ways. And the way that we experienced that was through confession I need you, Jesus. Repentance. I've looked for answers in the wrong places. Commitment. Faith and trust in Him to say, I'm going to go with you. And then He says, I'm going to gift you grace, and I'm going to fill you with my presence. It was hard work. And that's the sort of work that was going to need to be done between people in the church community. So Paul is praying, the Lord of peace, give you peace. Because you're going to go in there, and you're going to have to confront your brothers and sisters and tell them they got to knock it off. And we're going to need the Lord of peace to be at work in your community to bring about real substance to your relationships because they're going to have to admit in humility, man, I've done a bunch of things wrong. And then you're going to need the Lord of peace to demonstrate grace and forgiveness when they admit they're wrong so that you can restore them back into relationship. That's the real peace of community, the substance of relationships. Now, real talk, I don't have any interest in the peace of branches being only as deep as our marketing. I don't have any interest at all in the branches community having a sort of peace that's only really reflected in our images on our website that are like people laughing and half-candid, you know, ah, you know, like that's the closest we get to community is that image that's like half-candid on the website. Like some places it's all talk, it's all hot air when we talk about community, it's all values and vision statements and sermons. They throw a great party on Sunday, but there's no substance. I would rather have substance going through the hard stuff in our relationships with each other rather than fake smiles. You know, nothing grinds my gears more as a pastor than when a married couple comes to me and says, we're divorcing after 10 years. And I go to them, I say, what? You're divorcing? I didn't see that coming. I mean, what's been going on the last 10 years? You guys look so happy. I said, oh, no, we were miserable that whole time. What in the world? You were miserable the whole time? Like, you faked it so good. Like, you were here every Sunday. You said all the right things. Like, how is this possible that I got up on a stage and told everyone in the church in public that my marriage was horrible, and you can't even come to me in private to tell me your marriage is horrible? Are you kidding me? I don't need that superficiality. We don't need those fake smiles. I can't tell you how many times I look around and I go, where's so-and-so? It's been like five months since I saw that person. And somebody else goes, oh, yeah, they left. They, they weren't happy about such and such. I go, really? I didn't even know about that. Like, I would be very concerned if they were upset about that thing. And these, you know, have been, through our history, supposedly mature people but who are taking the easier path. Well, it's easier not to talk. It's easier not to bring up the hurt. It's easier not to try to 
be understood and understand someone else's point of view. It's easier not to confront, and the easy road meant that the gospel was not honored. It's too easy to cut and run in church. If branches, we're going to do the work of relationships. We have to do the work. We'll have tough conversations. We'll work through relational conflicts. We'll be bearing up under each other's personality quirks. You know, we are going to be confronting issues between us because the gospel is a means of peace between God and man and us and each other, but it's a piece of substance. And it's a piece that can be won for us through the person of Jesus at all times and in all things if we lean on His power. So I want to finish with three pastoral thoughts here, and I'm going to be telling you what's so obvious clear as day, I want to remind you from this simple blessing that the peace of God, number one, is found in God. Jesus said, I'll give you living water so that you don't thirst. It's from Jesus to us. Paul said, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Paul was praying that God Himself, the Lord of peace, would grant you peace at all times. You simply will not find lasting satisfaction in any other avenue in this world because you weren't made to find lasting satisfaction anywhere else in this world. If you long for peace, if you long for wholeness and satisfaction, and you're not looking to God, you are not going to find what it is you're looking for. Peace is only found in God. Two, the good news is the peace of God is available to you at all times, in every way. Everything does not have to be going right. Your circumstances don't have to be good. At all times is the blessing. In all things, contentment in any and every situation is the blessing. You can experience the full satisfaction of God today as He ministers to you and as you believe in His promises for tomorrow. You don't have to wait. And number three, the peace of God is what must fill the church in its relationships. I don't want to see any superficiality or fake smiles among us. The world needs to see a place of substance, a, a community that's built through confrontation and confession and repentance and commitment and change and restoration. We have a means in all our conflict to remain one, and the means of that is Jesus in everything and at all times. So I want us to lean on Jesus this morning to be the source of our peace, and I want to offer an opportunity for those of you who need this blessing on a personal level. I want to invite you, you know, if you need peace this morning, you need that blessing of peace, would you stand right now?